0: I kind of wish everybody had an opportunity to go through that process. It makes you look at why do you have a congregation there, and now how are we going to reach those people who are not Lutheran, for one, and not Christian, maybe, in the broader sense. And so, you just get to do things a little bit differently.
1: This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is a place for you to meet the community, the people who make up The Way Family. I'm Matt Rothie, pastor at The Way Church, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Meet the Fam. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Heidi Zell, and our producer, John Boomhoffer.
2: Hey, everyone.
3: Hey, how was, to be here. <laughs> that was a delayed reaction, and you caught Sorry. me off guard. But I'm happy to be here as well.
2: This dramatic pause.
3: Yeah. Well, joining us on this
1: episode is Mark Patoka. Mark, thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Glad to do this. Now, you and I were talking about these when we kind of first had the idea of doing a podcast series where we interviewed people from our church and talked to them. And I remember you made a comment like, yeah, I don't know if I should or could be on that because I don't really have a unique story. And everybody that we've had on here uh, so far has really had a unique story and, and everybody does, but lately maybe you had an epiphany about why your story might be so unique.
0: yeah, it was it was interesting because I did I kind of went back to the previous episodes just to kind of re- you know refresh who we've talked with and stuff of our congregation and it was my first thought was wow, they've got some really neat life stories, and I'm going. Mine's rather boring, I think. You know, I don't have this great something significant happened or, you know, a certain point in my life, all of a sudden I started coming to church or whatever it was that happened like that. But the more we've gone through it, I was like, well, wait, maybe my story is somewhat unique because I don't have that. But I've been a member of the church basically from the day I was born. I've never had that moment where I wasn't a believer or maybe I fell away or I switched to a different church or something like that. So, you know, maybe yeah. that can be a good story also.
1: I think it is. And I think it it's added layer of, you know, uniqueness in that you have not just been a part of a church or Many churches your whole life. You've been a part of the same church body your whole life. You have been a lifelong card-carrying Wells Lutheran member, and that's since you were young.
0: Right. Yeah, I I always have been. So I've never, and I've never even looked at not being a a Lutheran, specifically Wells, Wisconsin Synod Lutheran. I'm, I'm always looking at you know the doctrine to make sure that. Of course, you know the Wells is still staying true to the word, the doctrine. But I've, I never felt that I needed to go away from that or find a different denomination that maybe was teaching something different or that I didn't agree with what was happening. You know, in the Wells.
1: In a second, we'll talk about maybe just kind of your growing up in that. But the really unique point of that is that we're a church plant. And we started here with a handful of families who were members at our at our mother church, Trinity in Woodbridge. And yet the obvious part about starting a church is that you hope to reach people who are not yet part of the church. And by God's grace, over the last last five years, we've been able to do that. And by virtue of that, that means you're You're a unicorn. You're in the minority of what kind of our church makeup is.
0: Right. It's a different position, I think, than I've ever been. And probably get into my history a little bit later, but all the different congregations that we have been part of throughout our life, my wife's and I life together, it's always Lutherans, always, you know, Wells members. That's pretty much who makes up the congregation, either lifelong people or people have been Lutheran for a very long time. And when we started the way, you know, that's the core group that was. But like I said, we are now the minority group of the, the lifelong or the card-carrying Lutheran <laughs> members. You know, we've got a lot of people that have come in who are new to the Lutheran faith, and it's, it's a different perspective, a different outlook, and kind of how we, just how the congregation kind of operates, and just the feel, the vibe of the congregation also, I think. And it's, it's a unique experience. Well, talk about that,
1: kind of the look, the vibe, the feel, because we should have maybe introduced this at the beginning, but Mark, you have a very unique point of view at our congregation. You serve as our church's president, and so you're thinking very often about exactly, as you said, what's going on at this church, what's happening, what are other people's experience like, but how has your experience maybe been impacted by, yeah, finding yourself in a different position than you ever have your whole life before?
0: it's been different because i did 22 years in the air force and so we've moved around a lot grew in wisconsin but then from after shortly after high school got married joined the air force and then from that point on we've been most of the western united states wyoming south dakota arizona and then out here in the dc virginia area and we've always been very fortunate every city that we lived in there was always been a wells congregation there so we've never had to like you know, go church shopping or something like that. We've always been very fortunate. There's been a Wells church, a Lutheran church, and so we are able to, you know, fit right in immediately. But those churches that have always been there, and same with here when we arrived here. We are at Trinity for 15 years, and so the opportunity to do a mission plant is something not a lot of people get to do. Even though there's always mission churches starting up, you still have to be in a kind of unique situation to be in that right place when... All of a sudden, you get to now go plant a new church congregation. And it's, it was a very unique experience to do that. And I think it's something that I kind of wish everybody had an opportunity to, to go through that process. It makes you look at why, why do you have a congregation there? And now, how are we going to reach those people who are not Lutheran, for one, and not Christian, maybe, in the broader sense? And so, you just get to do things a little bit differently. You know, we're very fortunate. We're part of a denomination, and I know Will mentioned that in his podcast a couple months ago, that when they were looking, they wanted that stability of an overarching kind of body that made sure there was a checks and a balance on their pastors. And, you know, we get that. You know, if Every time you go to a Wells church, you know that they're going to be preaching the exact same thing. The doctrine, the theology, it's going to be the same at every church, because everybody comes out of the same seminary. What we get to do here is, sometimes it's the style now that we will change a little bit. When I mean, that's something that as a church plant, you know, we've gotten to do that. You know, it's, you don't come in and it's like the very traditional style worship service that a lot of places are, you know. That's one thing that's a little bit different that we get to do by being a church plant. And we did that purposely as part of our process. So it, it gives you that opportunity to look at that that way.
1: You highlighted one difference, but maybe take us through what you described as our process going from... No church to a church here and and walk us through it personally because you were very involved at a church that we all love very much. You were there for I think you said 15 years before mm-hmm. this happened. So take us through the process of starting the way,
0: but from your perspective. Well, from our perspective, it was it was rather unique. We had always talked about it at Trinity at some point and you know, maybe starting a new church down in Fredericksburg, and geographically it worked, and we had a lot of members who lived down this way, and, you know, and you're know, you like 30-plus miles away from there, so commute-wise, going to church is not always convenient out here. And so, I wasn't on the council at that time, so when the early talks started, I wasn't part of that, but when Pastor Burkholt started coming out and doing some of the initial groundwork, we were part of that group, and then I started pulling some data together to help that, like, you know, I did a, a mapping of all the where all our members lived from Trinidad and kind of mapped out, like, okay, if you got this group here in Fredericksburg, how many people do you have? What's the kind of the average radius of mileage, you know, if you're versus up in Woodbridge, things like that. So I think it was helpful for uh, Brickholts to have that information. When we knew that they were going to start a congregation here, I think I even made that comment to you, it was like, yeah, we're more than happy to help out, but because where we live, we were almost literally the dividing line, halfway to Woodbridge, halfway to Fredericksburg. And so geographically, it was kind of like, okay, not quite sure where, because you're right, we were very involved with Trinity. My wife and I both were very involved there, and so we just had a lot of ties there, and we just like serving there, and so the opportunity to come down here when it first started was kind of like, we'll help, but we also didn't know what starting a new church was going to be. And I don't think anybody of our core group really did either. I think it was kind of like, well, do you just take this group of people and now you just start doing the exact same thing you were doing at the old church, at the new church, and you just kind of find a building and a place to do it, give yourself a name, and you just kind of start worshiping. And I think maybe that's what some of us thought, but that's not really what we did. You know, we spent that year ahead of time, meeting every other Sunday afternoon. It was great because we had like 14 families that were all in this together. And we kind of started through from day one with you. You you started walking us through this this whole process. And it was kind of like, okay, well, why do we have a church here? Why do we want to start a church here? What's our purpose? Who are we trying to reach? What's gonna be our impact to the community? You know, what do we want to do? What is the community looking for from us? Type of thing. And as you go through that process, all of a sudden for me it was like kind of a light bulb moment. Also it was like, Oh, okay, I can get fully behind this now. I want in on this and when the time comes to start this, we're in. You know, there was none of this, you know, okay, Maybe we'll stay here, maybe we won't. I want in on this because I love the mission part of it. I found it fascinating when, when we did your installation service up at Trinity, I think it was your father-in-law who kind of gave the, the address to that. And the comment that was made at that time was, we're not starting a new congregation for the convenience of the people who are living down there, for those existing Lutherans, those Weld members who live down there. That's not the purpose of why you start a mission congregation. And I think some people look at that because it it is, it's it's a lot nicer when you only got to go five minutes (laughs) to church versus 30 plus minutes to church on a Sunday. But that's one comment that resonated with me of your purpose is not for your convenience. It is to get the gospel. Now we're planting a new seed here, and we're going to branch out from that. And going through that year-long process, I think, just kind of opened up that that perspective of why you do mission work. And, And I think that's something that I wish more people could go through that. Just to see that and experience it.
1: Yeah, you saying that, you've shared it before, that being in a mission church, being a part of a church plant, a church startup, is something that you would recommend that everyone at least give a try. I'd say that's pretty high praise for the experience that you've had here so far.
0: It it was. It was, and it's very enjoyable. It's, It's a lot of work especially now we're in year five, there's there's different work that goes with it. But I think that initial enthusiasm was really infectious for the for the core group that was here and started that.
1: Well you shared it in a lot of detail, but I'm gonna ask you to go back to it again because I I agree with what you said. It was a special time, and yet it's kind of a one, one and done. It's you know the birth, right? It's exciting, but to capture that more for people that weren't there, I'll, I'll maybe say something that you've alluded to so far. I think Mark, it was after we had been kind of working together for a year that you and your wife Wendy admitted to me, you're like, yeah, Matt. Just so you know, we're here, we're staying, but we weren't going to stay past a year. And I was like, whoosh, <laughs> like good, th- good thing you're still here. And yet you, you, you talked about a light bulb moment early on. What other maybe moments that you experienced in that, in that process, that buildup year made you go, no, this is something that I, I want to be. A-.
0: I don't know if there was any other specific moment. There was that whole, that whole group dynamic that you kind of go through different stages of a, a group you know we all had a lot of stuff in common but we all got to know each other a lot better personally because we met every two weeks and usually you know there was a food or something involved you know we spend a few hours together on a Sunday afternoon we got to know everybody just like family and we, and we really did feel like family I think and that is something that we still carry forward as the culture of this congregation is there are a lot of close-knit relationships here that you know, that just help, I think, create a, a nice, friendly, welcoming culture to everybody who comes in. And if you get in with that, or if you get with a group or something like that, it just, it creates that family and the culture within the church.
2: <laughs> I, I agree. That's something that I found, especially after moving here to this area, is that I think we agree that the the DMV area is such a transient area. There's a lot of people who have transferred here for different jobs or for whatever reason. And a lot of people are away from family that they may have already lived with or near, especially like a lot of us from Wisconsin, you have family up there and you kind of are, are comfortable there, but then finding that in a church and having that be such a new church as well is, I think is really unique. And I agree with what you said as well about how everybody should go through this. Cause it's, it's such a cool opportunity. You get to see it through, fresh eyes, and not only the setup of the church, but also what we believe and why we believe it. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, and and you got here shortly after mm-hmm. we did, so you got to kind of get in right after the ground floor, but it was still very new, and so you were able to in, even inject yourself on John also, you know, very early on into that. But I want to, I want to go back to the comment you made. You're right, it's like Church is a family. And like I said, early in our life, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and had always gone to a Lutheran church, went to Lutheran elementary school, so always been part of the church. And I've been very fortunate that both of our families also have been in the church their whole life, have have always gone, served different capacities, things like that. You know, examples from grandparents to our parents, things like that. And then when we Left, joined the Air Force. Uh, so said, we're 19. We're 1,000 miles away from home and family. We're in Wyoming at the time. First thing we do is, you know, we go look for a church, and there's a Wells Church there. And the funny thing is, the pastor of that church literally grew up two miles from where I grew up. He was a few years older, so didn't know him personally, but we knew the family, sort of, things like that. So it was already a connection there. But you're right, it was like a family there, and we have always— made a point to always go to church every week. And so, by doing that, you become part of that church family just by virtue of going, and then you start getting involved. And so, everywhere that we have always lived, the church, local congregation, has almost become like our family at that point, more so than pretty much anybody else around us. So, we've always had that connection, the relationships the people in all those different congregations. You know, we still have friends that we made 25, 30 years ago at some of those churches that we were at, and it's kind of neat to always kind of follow up what's going on with them and things like that. So you're right, there's there's that family element, I think, and that if you choose to get involved that way, it can take the place, especially when you're far away from Mm -hmm. having family anywhere near you.
2: That's massively helpful. It's cool.
0: So we talked about you kind of being
1: a part of this congregation from the very first days. I don't know if maybe some people realize just how early on you were a part of this. The way it works in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod is that When you graduate from the seminary, there is a call service where they read off the list of names where you are assigned or getting a call to. And at that call service, I heard my name read out and then I heard New Mission in Fredericksburg. And what's really unique about that is that there is a whole group, a whole class of people getting assigned. And in my case, most of them were getting assigned to churches that exist. So friends in my class were getting texts and emails from people at their congregation, welcoming them, even before that afternoon was over. And of course, because ours was a new start, There was nobody at our church to text or welcome me, but one thing you do is you go to a meeting with your district president and the district mission board, and so my wife and I went to that meeting right after call service, and then we left it, and standing in the parking lot was
0: you and Wendy. Right. Yeah, that was a unique experience. We were there. Our youngest son, Tim, was a classmate of yours, so we were there for his call also, because he was graduating, and he received a call out to Tucson. And so while we were there, and we knew that the new mission plant, we were on the list to hopefully get a seminary student to come out here to Fredericksburg and be the plant, but we didn't know if that was going to happen or not. We just know that we were, our name was in the hat, and the, you know, we were given approval to, to do that. And so yeah, it was kind of interesting, because we're there hoping to so, say, okay, our son's going to get a call, and at the same time, we're hoping that we're gonna also get to hear who the past who's gonna be the person to be the pastor. And we get to be that official welcome committee, the first people that you'll get to meet. And it was interesting because I know they do it alphabetically. And so our son was P, so it was, you know, it's over halfway down and there was still nothing for Fredericksburg. And there's only like thirty-some people who are getting assignments this day. So we knew the list was getting short. And then all of a sudden, you know, we heard your name and then we heard, you know, new mission start, Fredericksburg. And so we were just as joyful that hey we got somebody. We know we're actually gonna have a new mission start, not knowing again what was gonna that was all going to entail. But I don't think you also realize either that there were a whole lot of people back here in Virginia that, because as soon as we heard that you know, the pastor here was, you know, okay, okay, great, we got somebody. And then we met you out in the parking lot afterwards, introduced ourselves. So, you know, with the first members, and we didn't even have the name of the church yet, obviously. <laughs> the first thing he did is we took our picture of you and Emily, we texted it to the pastor here, and the first thing it was that, you know, that went viral right away among the members at <laughs> Trinity it was like, hey. Here's our new pastor. So there was a lot of excitement when that happened. And we felt very kind of privileged to be, you know, I guess, your official welcoming committee there also, which you know I'm kind of glad because you said there's, you don't get that. Yeah, it was, it was a
1: really special moment. That whole day is a blur, right? Because there's just so much going on. But that was an unforgettable moment for both Emily and I, just because I, I still remember you guys were waiting there and we were walking to our car and you're like, hi, I'm Mark, Wendy. And we're members at your church. And
0: I'm like, <laughs> I didn't think there were any members at our church. <laughs> so it was perfect. Yeah. that no. was it was a lot of fun. That was a great day.
1: We're at an interesting place in our short church's history that we're gonna turn five this year. And so far we've talked a lot about maybe the first year or even the first five years. And yet it's an interesting time right now because not only are you in the minority in terms of you've been a part of this church body your whole life, you talked about 14 families that were pivotal in starting this out. And when we started and really got to grow together as we grew this church, it was kind of like the, oh, this is, this is great. You know, these people are going to be here forever. And yet life happens. Heidi, you referenced that this is a very transient area. We've had people retire and move. We've had people who have gotten stationed here, others who have gotten stationed elsewhere. People have moved out of the community. And now we're at a place where all 14 of those families aren't here. And yet, by God's grace more and more families have come each and every year. What would you say as you kind of key on that really special time that you had to kind of capture the purpose of the church and what you want it to be, especially for people who kind of look and go, well, I just got here, or maybe even people who aren't
0: here yet. It's you're right, You can't capture, the, I guess, the same feeling that maybe we had as a core group, that purpose is still there. You know, the the people are still just as friendly, just as welcoming. We are still making an effort to be that outreach-focused church. I know I think I mentioned to you maybe a year or so after we started, it was like, okay, you know, right now all our focus is on we're a mission church. Everything was like outward. How do we get into the community? How do we do this? How do we get people into us? How do we get our name out there? Things like that. And I said, at a certain point, you know, five years or whatever that we're going to probably start have to transition because we are now maturing as a congregation and we're just not that, hey, we're brand new here, you know, whatever, whatever we do kind of, we're just testing the waters, doing everything. And we're trying to establish ourselves now and kind of be that permanent presence so people know where we are, who we are, and come join us. So we're, I think, trying to maybe straddle that line a little bit we're having to do both things, which most congregations have to do. But I think we're still young enough that we like to still have that that missional outreach type of thing. And part of this does come down, from my experience, is also the the attitude of the pastor uh, that also leads. You know, the pastor is the you know pretty much the face of the congregation, and so the the approach the pastor takes can also help drive how the congregation is going to maybe react and what they're going to do, how they see their purpose and their mission. And that, you know, we're, we're on the church council, so we have a job and our roles also, which help guide what the ministry of the church does. But I think as long as we keep that outward focus, you know, we're, we're always inviting people in. And part of it is because we're getting people who aren't lifelong Lutherans, lifelong Wells people. So they come in with a different perspective also. Sometimes that it's, sometimes you need to tap into it. Listening to the, you know, meet the fam from previous people. It's really interesting to hear what other people have for life story. I'm kind of going, wow, I wouldn't, I don't have that experience. And I would never even think about, oh, you're looking for something like this, you know, and we had it. Or, you know, you came here and, you know, it was the friendliness and that kept you coming back or uh, type of thing. As long as I think we keep that attitude and that mindset going forward, I think you're always going to have that in
3: your future. I just want to comment on, this has been my experience, and in hearing your experience, I'm just like, oh, that's very similar to myself in my young life. I grew up Lutheran, baptized, you know, first week of my life, and went to Lutheran grade school, all the things, and then I come here and I do this, and I think— one of the things that's impressed so much of me, is something you just said, is that, oh, you were looking for this and we had it. The idea like we have the gospel that is life for people. And w- growing up being in a very established church and just that's all I knew. Those are the people I knew. I I, I don't think I remember new people coming into church or I wasn't aware where I was uh, perceptive to the fact that like this was a life-changing message for them and being able to see that Just kind of reinforces that importance of why we're a church here and why we do what we do, and I I just loved hearing you say that because that's what I've seen. Yeah,
0: it's good. It should circle back on that, because, right, our message doesn't change. You know, we're not out there trying to appease. You know, what people are looking for—the flashy stuff or whatever it is, like that. You know, we're still very Bible-centered. We're Christ-centered. You know, we preach the gospel. So when you come here. That's the first thing we want to make sure you're going to get is the word of God in truth and purity. That's the first thing. After that, of course, everything else that's, I don't say, the frosting on the cake. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, you're coming for that message. And then you know, the friendliness and everything else of everybody else who's here getting that message is going to keep you in and, and you want to be part of that, become part of this family that we have here.
3: Yeah, and I think you've had the same experience where you're sitting in foundations and somebody's like, "Oh, that's what God's word says." And I've been sitting in some of those classes where that has happened and it's just like, "I've known this." You know, and and to see that happen and what that does for somebody, it is literally life-changing because God's word does that. And it's it's very cool to see that.
1: It's a careful distinction you made of talking about what changes what doesn't change. Of course, the message The gospel, it never changes. But we as a church are changing, and it's because we are young and growing. You alluded to it more, and maybe if only for selfish reasons, I want to know what Mark thinks. I'll ask this. We talk often as leaders about the different stages or life cycles that we go through. And you talked about kind of the the infant stage. You walked us through that process. You also talked about maybe things that change when you turn five years old and 10 years old. We'll, we'll get to 10 years old in just a second, but a- anything else you want to say about
0: just uh, the stage that we are at now? I don't really have anything different. It's just, we still feel very young. And maybe part of that's because you know, we're still worshiping in a gym. We're doing the setup. We've been doing that for four-plus years, you know, every day or every Sunday. And so, there's a, sometimes a different mindset Or when you come to church on Sunday, you know, you're just not walking in to a building, sitting down, or an hour later, you can get up and leave and you're done, you know, and that's it. We We kind of have to go all do this together. And there's a lot of hands that go into making Sunday morning happen, as we all know. You know, and maybe something... 10 years down the road when we're in a permanent building, that piece of it will change a little bit. But, you know, hopefully we'll transition into some other, the way we operate or just when you come on a Sunday, it'll be a little bit different experience for those who aren't on the setup team type of thing. You, know, you can come in and worship, but now we can focus on doing other things there on a Sunday morning. You know, maybe longer Bible studies or something that we can't do now because we don't have the time to do it. Something like that. Or it gives us more opportunities. You know, we'll 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 have to adapt to it. Uh, and we don't know what that is right now, but we'll figure it out as we go along also. And I think that's one of the nice things about being a younger congregation is we kind of make things happen as we need to. And you know we've tried some things and we've stop doing some things and things like that just because either manpower or times have changed or personnel have changed, things like that. Yeah, I like that. The idea of
1: maturation with opportunities. Just like any human being, as you mature, as you grow, you're going to have more opportunities. But then taking it back to what you said before, as long as you kind of straddle both sides as you mature, but you don't ever forget kind of where you came from. You don't ever forget the purpose. You don't ever forget why we're doing what we're doing now and we've been doing for the last five years. Right,
0: and that's what we do as uh, the leadership and the ministry team. You know, We do have to kind of balance that. To, to keeps that going.
1: Well, you've talked about your role serving as our church president. You've also talked about just you enjoying serving at other churches that you've been at in the past. And that's something that you not only talk a lot about, Mark, but you just model in so many ways. I think to try to maybe capture what you do at our church might be close to impossible because you serve in so many different areas. So, I'll I'll just kind of ask it this way. How did you kind of come to adopt that kind of philosophy or that
0: maybe habit of serving at church? I've been trying to figure that out, especially (laughs) as we prep for this. And I I don't know if there's a singular answer to it. I'm assuming it's just probably part of my personality, whatever it is. I was thinking about a little bit— I've been very fortunate. I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday. I grew up going to a small country church where my mom went to and my grandparents that it was like literally hundred yards from you know down the road so I could see it every day. And or my grandparents lived across. And so going there every Sunday, my grandfather served as an usher or a greeter at the church every Sunday. I and mean, as a little kid, it's kind of cool because, you know, he's the guy who always got to ring the church bell when church started. And for the Lord's Prayer, he's the guy who would ring the bell, you know, for the Lord's Prayer and things like that. So, and then they were also the janitors or the cleaners of the church. And they did that for 30s plus years. My aunt and uncle also go there. So, um, and they were church officers. So, I think I have always seen family members just be part of the church. Church has always been central to our family's life, just by going. It's not, I don't think, anything you do on purpose. It's just, that's just what you did kind of thing. And so, by virtue of just being there, you you kind of get involved. My first opportunity, I guess, was in eighth grade. We transferred to a different church because the church that had the school was bigger, and so we went to a different church. this time not the little country church where I went as a little kid. But we went to school. They'd come and ask the eighth grade boys, like, anybody want to be an usher? And this was a bigger church, you know, they had three Sunday services, something like that was very large. And so, you know, I signed up to be an usher because we always went to the 730 service on Sunday mornings. I was like, okay, you know, I want to be an usher, that's kind of cool type of thing. So just started getting involved and then you kind of have a responsibility because now now you have a role and it's a bigger church and so several ushers. And stuff. And so, you got men who are you know, kind of doing the thing. Everybody has a role lighting the candles, taking the offering, things like that. And so, it was just kind of a neat way to, I guess, learn and see how stuff happens during church, to make church happen, versus just sitting in the pew. And so, I started in eighth grade, and I did that all through high school until I left. So, I was doing that. And then when we started moving around, said so we went to the church first. It kind of became our family, and just by virtue, and maybe this is the, the key, if you don't want to get asked to do things in churches, don't show up at church. <laughs> so, that's not don't want you to do that, but I think that's part of the key, is you come all the time, and so you're going to grow in your faith. And if you have certain abilities and stuff, people will start seeing that, and then they will start asking you to serve. So, even when we were in our early 20s, my wife and I both were asked to start doing serving in certain ways either as a Sunday school teacher or certain positions on the church council like as a secretary things like that so we are already seeing things and that's just how it has always been kind of our whole career we've just gone and there has always been either a need and we've just we've just worked ourselves in by virtue of being there we saw a need and we just plugged ourselves in and it wasn't always like going to search for it like even being on church councils like I'm not the kind of person who's going out there and says, I got this vision. I want to get on here. I'm going to make my vision happen. No, somebody saw a knees like, okay, hey, we have an opening coming up. Somebody's leaving. We think you'd be good in this position. And and you just get pulled into things like that. And I had the philosophy where if 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 God gives you a gift and you're able to serve in some capacity, I think you should do that. I wanna say it's a requirement, but I really feel like if you're not doing that, you're not using the gift God gave you to use, and it can be anything. It can be simple. It can be an advanced skill. Whatever it is, and it's also like, well, I'm at church every Sunday, so why don't I usher something? Because you know, it's serving in a small way, or playing keyboard or something like that. But, you know, a need came up, and we were short of keyboards. Also, I said, well, I've got, I can play piano, and all of a sudden, you know, worked into the rotation, and then became one of the regular uh, piano players and things like that, and then his worship band here was able to do that. So it has always just been, the opportunity has been there, but also I've never stood on the sidelines just looking at this back and say, okay, there's, there's a need, let me see how I can, I can help and do this and make it better.
1: Yeah. Well, you had it modeled for you by your family. You had it normalized for you because of your family and you got involved early on that you came to see it this way. What would you say to someone who maybe didn't have that experience growing up? Someone who, for whatever reason, is standing on the sideline and they just aren't... Necessarily sure what their gifts are or what opportunities are available for them because we've kind of talked around it, but the reality is that God gives gifts to all of his people. And the beautiful imagery, the metaphor that the Bible uses is the body metaphor. And you might be a foot, you might be a hand, you might be a nose or an eye or an ear, but everyone has a gift. And every church and I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about the people or the body gets to make up all of those different parts. How would you encourage someone who maybe hasn't had that experience of just normal service as a part of the life? This is maybe something they're considering for the first time.
0: Just do it. Ask somebody. I mean, there's there's no job too small. You don't have to be elaborate. Every Sunday, we require a fair number of people to make Worship happen on Sunday morning with us. You know, even just flipping the slides every Sunday, it's actually a skill you kind of got to pay attention to because you're the one who the congregation is following the side, you know. So but you can sit at the back table and it's nothing that you have to stand up in front of people and do. You know, you can come to church and do that. It's something simple. If you want to help set up you know, we've, which we're always looking for set up people and that. There's always people who are happy to have somebody come and lend a hand. We're very fortunate. We don't have the culture here where it's like, this is my program. Don't touch it. You know, this is mine for the last 20 years. It's going to be mine till the day I die or I leave this place. You know, I've been places that have had that and it's very not welcoming or it's, it's, you just realize, okay, I'm not doing that. That so and so's going to be their deal, whatever. You know, we don't have that here. Uh, I, I don't think. So don't be afraid to ask somebody, how can I serve? And even if you think it's something very simple, and if it's something even if once a month, it's a great way to just do it. And sometimes you might be doing it, and people may not even notice it. There's a lot of times, you know, I like to do things, but if nobody knows I'm doing it or in the background or whatever, or it's, you know, that's fine. But I know that I'm enhancing worship for somebody else, or I'm making it possible for somebody else to be able to do something in worship that day. And it's just a a neat way to serve.
3: Yeah. I don't know if this is an effect of you just being there, showing up, volunteering, and doing things. But I don't know if you know this either, but when I first got here, Matt and Emily described you to me as the guy who can do anything. You play in worship band, you build stuff for science camp, you are the church president and do so many things. I just am so appreciative of all of the ways you use your gifts and the way you encourage other people to do that. So thank you for all that.
1: You kind of asked a rhetorical question earlier of, I don't think that we have the culture where we prohibit people from using their gifts before. And I'm glad you kind of asked that question rhetorically, because Mark, that is something that we talk about as the church's leaderships all the time. We talk about the value of being a culture that empowers people to use their gifts and allows people to use their gifts, even if we don't have this Program or this ministry, it's because we're so new, we don't have that yet. Or you think about, you know, maybe this thing that you did at your old church, but we don't do that yet. Well, you can do that here because that's a gift that God's given you. And that's something that we always talk about, like keeping careful tabs on. Are we allowing that? Are we empowering that? And Maybe we kind of confirm what our opinions are mm-hmm. of if we're doing it or not. But I'm glad you asked that because if anyone's listening to this, we want to know. We we want to kind of
3: engender that culture. And if we don't, we want to know about it too. So we start doing it. Yeah, I just want to tack onto that too. If you have an interest in something, you know, some of the things might seem really technical or like running a soundboard might seem complex. But if you have an interest like, oh, that would be cool to do that but it looks intimidating and you feel like you can't do it, I just want to say, tell me that you want to. Tell me you have an interest because I would love to teach somebody. And we have mo- multiple other people that would love to teach somebody how to do something like that. And so if you, if you have an interest and you think you want to be involved in a certain way, but you might feel intimidated, we want to empower you to, to learn a skill and to, to help out in that way as well.
0: Right, and you always look at the person who's doing that now, it's always nice to have a replacement for them, as we've learned. We've transitioned, we've lost people who have moved on for different things the last four years. And some of those people have been very integral to some of the volunteer things that they did. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, we have to replace them now with somebody. And that's not always easy to do. We've been very fortunate. And you're right. We have people who are able to serve now who said, probably have never done that or even thought that they would mm-hmm. be doing something like that. Yeah. And again, it's Not overly complicated, or maybe it's a skill that they kind of want to pick up on. Mm -hmm. Like I said, running a soundboard, you know, it's kind of something unique you get to do. And here's a place to do it that you're not going to get to do it anywhere else. And you can do it in a non threatening environment. You know, we're not so big that everything has to be so perfect on a Sunday morning. If something happens, it happens. We're all able to just kind of, okay, this is the way it is, we correct it. We know next week, hopefully it won't happen again. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I would hope that people wouldn't feel too much pressure that, like, you know, oh, I I don't think I would do a good job at that, or I I don't know if I have the skills to do that, because we do have, you know, plenty of things that people can do if they'd like to. We do, yeah.
1: Well, what you guys are talking about is not only practical, it's biblical that when people have gifts and want to wonder if they have them or not. Well, it is the body of believers that helps identify them. And it's also the body of believers that helps develop them. And John talked about like, yes, we want to empower you. We want to give you the resources for that. And that's exactly the point. You can't do that or develop that gift on your own. It's something that happens when you show up and and you take that often first intimidating step of, I think I want to try this. And If anything, from this conversation that I feel encouraged to ask if I can do this or try this here, because that is a a cool part of the culture that we have here. Well, Mark, we talked about your role as a church president. I'm going to ask you to kind of go off on any of the other things that are maybe just on your heart, on your mind, as you look at where our church is at now. But one of the main areas of focus right now is our church building. Talk to us a little bit about your, about your hopes or, or your thoughts of uh, taking on that project and, and really moving to that next chapter of our history.
0: Getting a church building is a very big step uh, of a congregation, and it's, it's a challenge because, you know, we're fairly new, we're still fairly small, and it's going it a lot of financial commitment to make that happen. I've been very fortunate that we're at Trinity. I was also on the council when we bought the building that they had. Prior to that, we were renting in, in a transient space also for, um, you know, nine years in one small building, and we had the great pleasure also then building came up, and we were in a financial position, we could buy that and move into a permanent home. And it's it's a unique feeling when you get to do that, because uh, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now this is our home. It's like this when you buy you know your own home, maybe you're renting an apartment, all of a sudden now you get to move into a home, things like that. So it allows you to do things like in a more permanent establishment. And and we're trying to establish that here now also. said so we're, we're five, going on five years old, and we're trying to get that Permanency established for ourselves. Going through what we're trying to do, I think it can be very beneficial for the congregation, for one, because it gives you that place like, okay, this is us here. We can point to a specific address. This is our place. We don't have to come do the setup to it now. But it's here. We can do more things there now. We can do ministry options that we can't do. Where we're you know at the YMCA or on a Sunday we're just limited things like that hopefully it'll be something that the community can draw to also it can see it as a landmark place and I want to say you know if you have a building that makes your tenants go up you know it may or may not it's still the people and the message that goes on in there it's an exciting time to go through that and I think you know, what we're trying to do looks very promising and it's I think just going to be something that will really add to the Fredericksburg community also in addition to the way church congregation say
1: more about that just what we're trying to do for maybe who someone who isn't familiar necessarily with the different way we're thinking about taking on a big space
0: yeah and this is yeah something that we could do as a young congregation we're we're so kind of breaking the mold. Out here on the East Coast, of course, costs are so much different. I've talked to other pastors who live in areas, you know, they can spend a quarter million dollars and buy 10 acres of land and still put up a place, you know, for a million or something like that. So, next to nothing. You know, we can't even buy a building here for, you know, less than a couple million dollars, basically, and then still renovate it on top of that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to do something different of not just use the building for a church only, where it's only used once a week, maybe twice a week, but doing a partnership where you've got this larger space, but now we have a tenant who's actually going to rent from us or, or rent part of the building and pay part of that mortgage for us as a business model. I think you know one of the first that first congregations that are trying to work this with our church body. So it's a challenge. For us, also, as leadership to make that happen and work that process through to the people in need because it's 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 just something new that again hasn't been done before, and there's there's challenges to it, I and mean, there's some cautions you know that we need to look at it versus if you're just buying your own place and things like that. But I think it can be a model that you know if it works well, maybe it'll help somebody else.
1: Yeah, you talked about really the practical end of it of course, that we're a small church and we would like to afford a building. So how do you do that? Well, you look at different different maybe ways to do that outside of the normal. We support uh, a church based on tithes, gifts, offerings, right? Well, we're looking to have different partners you mentioned, but there's also not just the organizational benefits to that or the dollars and cents benefits to it. We really have been strategic in how we go about that and think through that in terms of a missional benefit. We want to serve this community. We want to be a part of this community. And so we think through different ways we can design the building, different ways that we can
0: partner with different groups in order to make that a reality. Right, yeah, and that's a challenge also because you know you 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 gotta get the right partner. So somebody who at least aligns with what a church would do, because you're gonna want them, you know, next door to you basically. And then also as a congregation to make sure that we are still functioning as a church congregation. Now we're not in the. Landlord business type of deal, which you know, which larger churches, if you have a school and a daycare and things, you kind of have those issues anyway. But you know, this is not your own, so you still want to make sure you're the church. That's you're still your primary focus as is what is what you're doing. You still want to put all your energy into that if you can. You don't want to get sidetracked. That will start leading you down a way. You don't want to go and just cause you know anxiety and problems and things among the members. Also,
1: well, on top of even that, it kind of circles back to. One of the most important things I hope people remember from this conversation is always maintaining the mission, the purpose of the church, even as you grow, even as you are faced with new opportunities, even as you mature as a congregation, don't ever forget the really all-encompassing mission of what God has meant for churches to be. Don't lose sight of that. Don't get into the landlord business. Don't get into a, hey, all of our time, energy, and even our finances are are sunk into a physical building because while buildings are good and beneficial they are not essential. There's plenty of churches right. that operate in different parts of the world with no building whatsoever. So lest that be the thing that takes your focus away. I think that's a really, really important reminder to hold on to.
0: Yeah, it is. And and I was talking to a, a pastor a few weeks ago over Christmas vacation. He just took a call to a mission church, and they're doing the same thing we are. They're doing church in a box, and they've been meeting at a grade school for the last eight or nine years. And so we were comparing notes and things like that. One of the comments that was made is like, well, to his members, they've been doing it for eight or nine years. That's a long time, and I'm hoping we don't have to do that at all either. <laughs> but the comment was like, well, why do you want a building? Well, so we don't have to set up every Sunday. And he says, well, that's not the purpose to get a building, you know, just so you don't have to set up. You don't want to focus on the physical building piece where, you know, again, the convenience of it, which, you know, I alluded back to earlier, you know, geographically. Well, we're going to have a congregation here because now I don't have to drive 30 miles. I only got to drive five. Again, the same reason, you know, we want a building because we know we can do a lot with it. But it's not just so we don't have to haul carts every Sunday and, you know, into a trailer.
1: Yeah, it's it's seeing your building as a gift from God that is to be steward, right? right? We talk about that with finances primarily, and yet it's really all of our life, our talents, our abilities, even the opportunity to own your own building. This is yet one more thing that we get to steward. Why and how? Well, for the purpose of God's glory, for the building of his kingdom, that's the purpose, not just so I don't have to push (laughs) cards and set up folding chairs.
2: And with that, Aaron thinking that, like, if we had a building, all our problems would be solved. I mean, obviously, it would make a lot of things easier, but it's not worth the effort and the the finances and everything if it was just to make our lives easier. Right. You know
0: you will have a whole different set of problems that you don't have to right. deal with now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change. It just changes differently
2: mm-hmm.
0: what you're doing.
3: yeah, there's the common misconception is if you build it they will come, right. you know, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, maybe now you can say, hey, we worship here. We still have to be intentional about reaching out to people and being in the community and doing all those things. Right.
0: It, it still comes down to that. You're right, the yeah. members, you know, what we do, maintaining that family environment, you know, you still maintain the small groups, you still do certain activities, whatever it is, you reach out, you still have that camaraderie, a small church has that and i know we'll we'll probably never grow to mega size and even if we ever were blessed that way we already have a plan how to spin off and things like do something like that in the future you know if we're blessed to get to that point but just to maintain that family friendly environment no matter where we're at to do that
1: you talked about small groups you're an active member in yours is that something that you had always experienced growing up, is being a part of a small group with your church? And if not, how how is that experience for you now?
0: This is the first place we've ever done small groups formally like we do. On a, a regular basis, you have a kind of a specific group that you're set with. Ours is kind of geographically. We're all, all of us are in the North Stafford side, so we're all up there. And I know some other groups are kind of, more aged than that. But this is the first congregation we actually, we do it where it's, even something outside the church on Sunday. Traditionally, you have Bible study or Sunday school, an activity period here and there, but that's it. But this is the first time with an actual group where we intentionally meet every week, just about, or we do something, and it's a neat experience. I like what it does. I said, I, it, it does really feel like a family. We even sometimes joke like we have our life group is better than your life group, you know, type of thing. <laughs> we get this little going back and forth type of thing. But that's fun to do that. Yeah. That means that you actually got. A, some good bonding going on between your members, and we do it's you know if if something happens to somebody, you know we have a text chain also we we'll all text each other like you know something happened, you know, please pray for me for this, or you know, hey, this happened, hey, rejoice, celebration type of thing, or hey let 's just get together, you know we're going to have a meal somewhere, we do that, so you know there's four or five families, and it's also a way that gets sometimes somebody who's maybe is new to the congregation into the group, and so now you get them assimilated, but again they feel very connected, and we we all do have that feeling uh, where more so than just on a Sunday, we've always felt connected to people at church on Sundays. So it's always kind of been our church family, but this takes it to kind of a little different level. So I like it. I like the concept of it. You know, I'm hoping that you know maybe it's something that can be replicated somewhere else again or you know maybe in different ways or other churches i think it's again it's just a neat social fabric that we don't always have in society today
1: Well, it kind of pains me to bring this up, but I think it's it's important that we do. And that is that sometime this year, you and Wendy will be leaving us because you've had the opportunity to move closer to grandkids. And so we're very thankful for you guys having that. But no doubt we will be very sad to say farewell to you guys. As you kind of look at moving on to that chapter yourself personally maybe how would any like moses farewell speech that you would give to uh to the way as we kind of really kind of turn the page on a new chapter for us here and and you do so in your personal
2: life uh,
0: yeah it's it's kind of unique experience you know thanks to covid my job went full time remote and so we are we are planning to move to Tennessee later this year. Our our oldest son lives there and the grandkids live there. And so that was part of our retirement plan. It just got moved up by, you know, X number of years thanks to the current situation. And so it's I don't say it's bittersweet feeling. It's just different. And having mid military, we've always this is the longest. We've been here twenty years now in this area. So so for us it's different because we've always kind of moved on. You know, you get somewhere so long. And then, But we know you're moving. And so we've always had that transitory kind of feeling anyway, but we've always been able to plug in no matter where we go. And we're already kind of looking at that, too. It's like, what are we going to do as when we leave here? And, you know, maybe we'll still be connected here somehow or other. You know, it's we like the mission that we're doing here and just that friends and family, you know, that we feel are here yet. So who knows? We'll be connected in our new congregation, you know, somehow or what we're doing, you know. Maybe more traveling, who knows? But it's a unique opportunity. I, I don't have any you know, Moses statement <laughs> <laughs> words to give. Is it? What it'll do is it, it just it will create a, a new opportunity though for somebody else to serve, and hopefully somebody with a pickup truck who can uh, pull the trailer. This <laughs> yep. time, um, type of thing. But this, this is what it is. You know, it's it, it, you serve. There's always opportunities. We look forward to it. Just you know, doing what we can where we are. Well, a really eye-opening moment for me
1: was watching you and Wendy and so many other families when we had our commissioning service at Trinity. And I was new here. I fell in love with Trinity and they were so welcoming and kind to my wife and I, but we hadn't been there 15 years and more like other folks had. And yet you were willing to look at that body of believers and the way that you so faithfully served there and ask that question very intentionally. How can I use my gifts elsewhere? How can I use my gifts in in new opportunities that are presenting themselves here? And just conversations I've had with you and Wendy about your move to tennessee and how how really for the last year since you made up your minds that you're doing that that you have thought through okay how can we intentionally serve there how can we use our gifts the experiences that we have built throughout our lives in our new church and you've even talked to your future new pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> about, yes. about, about that yet, who I refer to him as that just because there may or may not have been some tampering, is that what it's called in the NFL, <laughs> where you recruit before the season opens?
2: Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that hurts to hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's some tampering <laughs> yeah. going on, some yeah. uh, recruiting They already have the transfer letter typed <laughs> up oh, ready for us man. to officially go, so... <laughs>
1: Let Let me just wrap it up with one more story. And it's a conversation that my wife, Emily, and I had about you. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression that Emily and I are always talking about you behind your back, but it's a second like <laughs> it's a second like a good story, but I maybe need to give a Bible reference story to it. It started when Emily and I were laughing about. Kind of the Bible joke that you read in Deuteronomy 12, verse 3, I think it is, or Numbers 12, verse 3. And that's where Moses, who wrote that book, is introducing himself in a narrative there. And he does so by also commenting that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. There was no other man as humble as Moses, and yet you have to remember that Moses wrote that and so Emily and I were talking about who was the most humble person that we know, and we went through a list of friends and family that we have, and ultimately mark we settled we settled on you as the most humble man that we know because, as John said before, you do serve in so many ways, some ways that are more prominent some ways that are less prominent and, and people might not even know about that. And you do so with just such an eye on your Savior as both the motive uh, for your service and ultimately whom you are serving, and that that kind of humble servant leadership embodied in your position as a leader, but also just your friend, also just serving alongside of you, is really inspiring and really encouraging. So, thank you for that in so many different ways. What that does for our church, what that does personally for me as the pastor, is tremendous. So, thank you for that, and thanks for taking the opportunity to sit down and talk to us about well, all that. It's, it's,
0: it's almost embarrassing to have to <laughs> sometimes sit here, and when you hear that, I'm thankful that, you know, people recognize it, but again, it's, it's, it's a way to serve. I'm happy to use the gifts that I have to, for the local congregation and just to help, you know, advance God's kingdom, however that is.
1: Well, thanks again for being here with us. We hope so many people uh, enjoy this conversation.
3: Thank you for joining us today. To get more content designed to connect you to Christ and to community, please subscribe or follow The Way Church wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can head to our website, thewaychurchva.com for more information.